Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning, church. My name is Diane Young, and I will be reading our scripture passage for today. Today, we will be reading from Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Our Father, we thank you so much for your holy word. We thank you that you are the King Most High. And we thank you for this opportunity to worship you today. God, we pray now for Joel. We thank you for giving him a word to preach to your church. And we pray that you'd bless him, fill him with your spirit, and open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us through the word today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I thank you, Diane. 
in the book uh, Team of Rivals, and uh, it's quite thick. Uh, it came out in 2005. It's a lot to get through. Uh, it was written by Doris Kearns Goodwin. And one of the things that she does incredibly well in the book is not just give um, this picture of perfection of Abraham Lincoln and the people who were around him. Uh, she is able, I think, deftly through anecdotes and quotes, through stories, through backtracking history, to present just how difficult the ups and downs, the twists and turns, the challenges, the successes and losses that Abraham Lincoln himself faced, as well as those around him. Uh, the women and men of his day had tremendous challenges, and in the face of them, Life was not always great. And in doing so, I think when she writes in 2005, it invites us in as modern day readers to uh, hear, see, relate to the story. In 2021, it's not hard or a stretch for us to think about the complexities of life. Uh, to think about uh, the ups and downs, the ways in which things go well for us and the ways in which they don't. It invites us in to relate to the story because uh, it's human. It's complex. Uh, it's rooted in reality and a reality that not only we experience, but that we can relate to. So whether you're more familiar with the downs right now, uh, just the reality of COVID-19, uh, the effects of the pandemic, the distance from community, the death of our Asian sisters and brothers, unprovoked assaults on our elders, uh, concern for our children. Whatever the circumstances in your own individual life may be, Surely, if you just listen, even to those here in Mosaic Silver Spring, you recognize so quickly that life doesn't always go well, even for Christians. We struggle. We face hardship. And so the Gospel of Matthew, I think, in setting up that very first Holy Week, invites us in as well because Matthew is going to present a complex picture of Jesus's last week. So while on traditionally on Palm Sunday we celebrate the triumphal entry, let me just prepare you for what's going to come in the days ahead. That uh, that triumph, that victory came in an unexpected way uh, that caused distress uh, for those who were present in the first century. And Matthew knows that ending as he writes. We are going to see in the week ahead a good Friday that didn't feel all that good to the men and women and children who loved Jesus. We are going to be met a week from now with a surprising vindication. 
And so in these opening verses of chapter 21, as we set the table for the week ahead and as a church community, we're going to experience ourselves uh, those highs and lows, whether it's this morning as part of the triumphal entry, whether it's on Monday, Thursday uh, with the prayer service, whether it's the Good Friday service we're going to do, or next week on Easter, we're going to see Jesus's entry into Jerusalem and the last week of his life that leads to his death and to new life. And this morning, we are going to pick up that very first Holy Week in three points. Past prophets, present king, and future example. So first, past prophets. And this is really going to be verses uh, 1 through 7 or so. So in verse 1, Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem. He came to Bethphage. Now, uh, what Silver Spring is to Washington, D.C. proper is what Bethphage is to Jerusalem, right? So he's, he's coming close. He's not quite there. Residents of Jerusalem would let you know he's not quite there. Uh, but uh, he is on the cusp. And as he arrives, he sends two disciples. And the language is important here. Uh, In verse 2, he says, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied. And then he says, if anyone stops you, you shall say, the Lord needs it, and he will send them at once. And there's just a few notes that I want to make here uh, that connect to the importance of these opening verses, because in one way it's explicit, but in another way it's much more subtle. In Jesus' framing of his entry and the sending out of the disciples, uh, it wouldn't be uncommon in that day if a king or someone important, uh, some sort of royal figure showed up at your door and said, hey, uh, we need to use your horse or your colt or your mule or one of your animals, you would give them over. That that was the expectation. It, It was just how it went in that day. But these verses are so much more about uh, Jesus' ministry and how it's rooted than merely transportation into the city. Because what's happening here subtly is the divine working out of God's hand. God bringing history together in this moment. And that's subtly communicated to us today in, uh, in words like immediately or at once. These are subtle, and you may not pick up on it, but when it's framed that way by the author Matthew, it's a way to cue you God is at work. So the only way things happen immediately, uh, often when it's described that way, is because God is involved. God's sovereign hand are bringing these people together. God's sovereign hand is providing for this entrance of Jesus. And so that language of immediate and at once uh, especially rises to the surface when it gets paired together with the prophetic fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. So the language here uh, in verse 4, that this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And so explicitly, Matthew's trying to connect how God is working out all of history to this one moment. As Christians and as people of faith, we can oftentimes go through life just experiencing things as circumstances set to today. 
part of setting the table for that first holy week is the recognition that God is actively involved. What the past prophets have foretold is now coming true in the ministry of King Jesus. And so the disciples in verse 6 do just as Jesus instructed, and the crowd goes wild, right? So uh, the present king rolls into Jerusalem in verses 8 through 11. The present king in verses 8 through 11 comes in, and the people go wild. They take off their cloaks and they spread them out. They grab palm branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. You can imagine them waving them and the crowds going before him are shouting out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. People are calling out. They are celebrating. This is huge. It uh, in a sense, we're told by Matthew, shakes the city, wakes the city up, uh, sends reverberations throughout the city. And part of why that's happening is the titles here are weighty. As one commentator on the Gospel of Matthew puts it, the messianic secret that Jesus had uh, uh, worked hard to keep a little bit closer to the vest, that he is the chosen one that God has sent him to bring about salvation for all of God's people, that secret that has been held a little bit tighter throughout Jesus's ministry is now publicly being declared at the edge of Jerusalem. That language of the son of David, that means the king is here. It's royal language. It's rooted back into 2 Samuel, to the promises that God will establish his throne and that a son of David will rule upon it forever. And so when Jesus rolls into Jerusalem and people are saying, as the prophets foretold and calling out Hosanna, praise from Psalm 118, and then echoing the titles and promises of 2 Samuel, what's happening here is this weighty declaration that God's king, the chosen one, has arrived. Now, through history, there are different types of kings. We know this from going all the way back to the book of Kings, but you can look in more recent history, rulers and authorities. You can sometimes get good kings. Uh, you oftentimes get evil kings. Uh, you can get brave kings who have all sorts of military strategy that they use to lead their people. But suffering kings don't really have a big piece of the pie. That's not a huge historical category, at least not typically in a positive sense. So this high point of Jesus' entry in people's mind, they may have a different sort of king in mind. Matthew's playing out this tension in the triumphal entry. When people are calling out Hosanna, when people are calling out blessed is the name of the Lord, they are excited because they are thinking of all that comes with a, a king that arrives, but it may not be the king that they expect. Those joyful shouts of Hosanna and praise would turn to lament within one week. 
And so you get this picture, and, and remember, Matthew knows, he's writing on the other side of this, that the ups and downs that the people were going to experience, the joyful shouts at the start of the week, turn to shouts of lament by the end. Jesus, the prophet of Galilee, would be a suffering king. God himself, in accomplishing salvation for his people, would not only take on humanity and meet them where they're at, but he would take on suffering and enter into their world in a way that relates. Jesus, King Jesus, because of that first Holy Week, meets us here and now, even thousands of years later, in the midst of our own suffering. When we struggle, when we face difficulty, when evil is pressed in on us, there are natural questions that bubble to the surface about where God is and uh, and. Does he know? Does he care? I think one of the takeaways of just how that first Holy Week is unpacked is one that reminds us as Christians that God himself comes near to us even in our low moments. That suffering, our suffering, is not lost on Jesus because he has suffered to the point of death for us. So that one part of what it means as a Christian is not that no suffering exists at all, but that uh, King Jesus meets us where we're at. He mediates on our behalf. He identifies with our struggles. He, unlike some others, can truly say, I know what you're going through. And that is something that marks Christianity and the Christian faith as distinct. It is a truly unique king. So we heard from the past prophets, and we see this present entry of the king. Let's look to a future example in verses 12 through 17. Jesus, uh, upon his entry into Jerusalem, heads to the temple first. And in verse 12, he enters the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturns tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And uh, there are a few different possibilities here of exactly what Jesus is doing when he enters the table and or when he enters the temples and flips the tables and kicks the chairs. But I think one of the clearest things is the signal that the kingdom has arrived. And Jesus is declaring just what that means in the courtyard and in the temple, the place where heaven and earth come together, the place where God dwells, Jesus says, we're not going to lose sight of what God's presence with his people means and where it is to be found. In verse 13, when he does this, he declares, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den 
of robbers. One of the senses of what's happening here is that people had been so caught up in the rituals and in the politics of their own day, the peripheral stuff, they had missed the point of what it meant for God's presence to be at the temple. They missed the point of what authentic worship looks like and what it involves. And so Jesus was refusing to allow any rituals or superficial stuff to become barriers, roadblocks, obstacles to the people of God coming to experience worship where God dwells. Jesus, that first day of the Holy Week, flips tables to signal to people that God's house and his presence will not be misused. And that's, I think, instructive for us. Jesus cleansing the table, the meeting place of heaven and earth, serves as a bit of a reset and a prophetic sign, uh, a, a future example that we here today can follow. We may follow Jesus' example of flipping tables that are present in our midst, the tables and chairs that surround us that stand in the way or become obstacles to authentic worship of God. Because it is the church, the visible representation of God's kingdom, where heaven and earth meet in a sense, that we can follow Jesus' pattern. Now, let me acknowledge up front that the church historically, and this is certainly true of the Presbyterian church, it's certainly true of the Presbyterian church in America, and, and it's even true of Mosaic Silver Spring. We aren't as good at flipping tables and kicking chairs as Jesus. Um, he does it perfectly because he's Jesus. So when it comes to flipping tables or uh, expressing anger righteously, we struggle. We don't do it perfectly. We have our own sin to contend with. We have our own blind spots. But that can't be an excuse. It can't make us afraid to say, well, then we're just never going to engage in any of that. That would be one way to respond. And I think it's wrong-headed. What it means is we have to move forward as a community of faith, as the visible representation of God's kingdom as the organization that becomes the witness to that first holy week and what it meant for King Jesus to arrive that Christians individually and corporately nonetheless pursue in faith the application of what Jesus has done. So when it comes to racist actions against our Asian sisters and brothers, when it comes to violence racialized jokes or racist jokes, racist words, especially when those things are connected to the church, we can and should flip those tables. When a member of a Christian church perpetrates violence, we name it for what it is, evil, sinful, and utterly incompatible with Christian behavior. When we see violence against women or their objectification or portrayals that betray their human dignity and value, those are tables that we can and should flip as a church community. Now, how do we flip those tables? It's hard. We're not as good at it as Jesus does, but we can identify 
the things that stand in the way of people's access to authentic worship. We can faithfully work to overturn them. Now, this isn't just venturing after some news cycle, but this is a thinking about how heaven and earth, the thing that we pray each week as part of the Lord's prayer, how that works out here and now, where God has placed us. The local church the visible representation of God's kingdom. And so we spend time listening and loving our neighbors. We spend time valuing people, people at Mosaic and people who live around us. We value our place, and we see how Christ's example of flipping tables leads us to enter in here and now in our particular historical and social circumstances. And so we do it not to merely signal the right virtues, but rather to faithfully live out our virtues righteously. It's not merely about signaling the right virtues, but faithfully living out our Christian virtue righteously. And that's going to involve entering into the pain that other people feel and loving sisters and brothers well. Well, if Jesus started that first Holy Week flipping tables, he ends the week setting the table. So he starts the week flipping tables, he ends the week setting the table. Jesus sets the table for his disciples at the close of his ministry in a way that is likewise instructive for us. He set the table for his disciples and invited them to come and to commune with him, to sit down and join him in a meal, to sit and be present with him. And that's a picture of something we follow as well. So we don't merely flip tables as a church community, we set them as well. As a multi-ethnic church, we model what it looks like to love our neighbors as ourselves, and we pursue true communion with one another. Part of the aspect of living as Christians involves setting the table for others, inviting them in, recognizing the different struggles and responses and needs that exist within our own community. And by doing that, we follow Jesus' pattern of setting the table so that each week when we gather together, whether that's through Liturgy Live, I I know it's not the same and it's not as good, but uh, whether it's gathering this way, whether it's gathering uh, for prayer services, whether it's gathering in community groups, whether it's running into one another in the neighborhood, whether it's serving actively, um, uh, maybe in a formal way through the work of the Mercy Ministry team or in informal ways of just helping out people who are moving or who are going through the normal rigors of life. Whenever we live as community together, committed, to love and caring for one another, that communion is following the pattern that Jesus has set for us by setting the table. We are ministered to by Jesus. And we have the promise of Jesus that he continues to prepare the table for us even now the Lord's table of the new heavens and new earth, 
where the bride of Christ made up of all nations from earth, all tribes, all tongues are coming together in worship of God. That is what we are preparing for each week. And so when we think about relating to one another, as we work through the ups and downs of this Holy Week, as we think through the ways to flip tables or set tables in our own current place where God has put us, this is what it looks like to faithfully pursue Christian community at Mosaic Silver Spring. And we do it empowered, strengthened, lifted up uh, in communion with the suffering king, the king who came to give his life for us and to set a table for us to commune with him here and now, looking forward to the time when which we will commune with him forever. May God give us the strength and the wisdom, and the faithfulness to follow in the footsteps of our suffering king, to flip the necessary tables in our current church moment, but to set the table for our neighbors and for one another in deep love, and looking forward to the time where that taste of communion, that appetizer of communion that we enjoy here and now will result in the full wedding feast 